funny? They mostly go rather than stay. Again, welcome everyone. Glad that you're here. Uh, we are in the middle of a time of prayer and fasting, and I really want to encourage you to come this Wednesday night. If you haven't been to one of our Wednesday evenings of prayer, they have been really, really strong. Uh, God is really moving. I, I want to strongly encourage you, if you're a part of fullness, to come on Wednesday night, 6.30 to 8, to the time of prayer that we're having. If, you're, if you've kind of stayed with it, we're, we're talking about the power of story. And last week, we talked about God's story his story, and how to read the Bible. Uh, We are doing a Bible reading program where we're reading through the Bible for two years. If you'd like one of the Bible readings, you can get those. The Bible reading plan, I don't have one up here, but there's a little uh, folder you can get and join in with us. It's a Bible reading plan. It has a corresponding devotion. All of that is in that little flyer. And last week, I wanted to help you understand if we're going to read the Bible through what are we reading? How should we read it? How, how is it unfolded? So if you weren't here that last week, I would strongly encourage you also to get the CD from last week so that you can kind of look at how to read the Bible through. Um, I, it's really our theology about who God is, what the Bible is about, and the fact that it is his story. Not my story, not the story of Israel. It is his story, God's story, the story of Jesus unfolded in the Bible. So I want to encourage you to get that. Then this week we're going to talk about our story, the story of fullness, how God is calling out a people. Next week we're going to talk about my story, our story, the story that each of us has. And we're going to look at that. And then over the next couple of weeks after that, I really encourage you not to miss the next three Sundays. Next Sunday we'll talk about I once was blind, but now I see The week after that, Cheryl is going to be sharing a specific story from the Bible um, that you're going to love. And then that week after that, I really want to encourage you to come back and hear the story of my family uh, and what God has done. Uh, I know you view our family from probably a perspective um, that could be a little skewed um, because you just see us from a distance. But we want to be vulnerable and just share How God is at work even when things don't go like you think they should go. So be there. That's that's three weeks from now. Today I want to talk about our story, though. How God is at work within us. We're on this great, great journey together. And it is a joy for me to see God's work in this place. How God has been at work over the last now 23 years. Um, it, it was 23 years ago when uh, a small group of people started uh, Fullness. You may not even recognize the people in this photo. That's me and Kathy and Jan Powell. Jared is standing on a bucket, I think, and Adam is in Kathy's arms. This is our first location down at Old Town, which is, um, which is over by Chuck E. Cheese. For those of you who know this area, that was our first location uh, it, it was the whole building, the nursery, the office, the everything, would have, two of them would have fit in this room uh, when we first started. And friends of mine told me that we were crazy. That's what Chris Kuhn used to look like. Somehow Larry seems pretty timeless in his age. 
knowing Larry and his frugalness, I think he still has that jacket and that shirt uh, that he probably wears on a regular basis. In any case, friends of mine told me that we were crazy to begin this, that I was crazy, that I had a future within the system that I was a part of, of either teaching or being on church staff, and that to begin a work like we wanted to begin, which was a work like what fullness is today, would be burning our, for me, burning my bridges. I I wouldn't be able to go back in to the system that I was a part of. At the time, it seemed scary, but at the same time, it seemed like there was a peace about it because what God had called us to do, to begin Fullness Christian Fellowship. I decided to become a church growth expert uh, after we started the church. And so I started grabbing all these books on how to plant a church how to start a church, how to grow a church. Um, Some of the things I learned is that um, we were way too small to start a church. We only had five couples and a handful of kids. All the books said that's way too small. We didn't have enough money to start a church. It told me that three-fifths, three out of every five churches, church plants fail within the first five years. Uh, I kept reading to the point I, I got depressed. Because we had already committed. We were already moving forward. Now I wanted to know what it was I should be doing to get this thing going. And everything told me we didn't stand a chance. So I put all the books aside and just prayed. Because I knew without God's help, there's no chance this church was ever going to make it. It had a, a pastor who was totally inexperienced who had no skills or abilities to pastor a church, who had only preached one sermon uh, his entire life, um, and who had really focused on music. We didn't have enough money. We didn't have enough people. We were locating in an area where the per capita church rate was already way too high. But we had a group that trusted God, that trusted God for what he wanted to do. I realized pretty quickly on that failure or success was totally in God's hands. I had this, you know, I was 34 years old at the time, um, which is hard to believe, but I was 34 at the time. I had a certain cockiness anyway, you know, it was, uh, you're 34. I hadn't failed miserably yet. Uh, I'd failed on some things, but not spectacularly. And, um, but I knew this was probably going to be it. This was going to be the spectacular fail of my life. And so it caused me to just lean into God and quit depending upon myself. As did all who were a part of the original church plant. Many of you came within that journey pretty early on. We moved from that location that you see on the screen to this location, uh, which was down on Lorna Road uh, about a year after. We've grown from you know, 10 people, a handful of kids, to about 50 people. Uh, we were there for about a decade. Many of you came when we were part of that Lorna Road location. We grew to about 100 people uh, before we moved here to this location and revised it. Some of you were here when we redid 
uh, this whole building, underneath the carpet on the stage. Many of you wrote scripture passages and prayers for this place. Uh, that's what the stairs look like uh, before we carpeted them with prayers, the word of God. It has been an exciting journey with incredible challenges, incredible victories, also some things which were unexpected turns that didn't go exactly like we we wanted them to go. Over the past year, you've given incredibly. There's a handout in your bulletin, which I do not want you to look at right now, um, but you can look at later, which talks about the um, changes in the the money that has been given to help build this house, uh, to do work here over the past 12 months. I, I am incredibly incredibly humbled and grateful for the work that God has done in this place uh, for you, how you've given sacrificially of your lives, how you've loved me and my family, and how you supported the elders and the leaders and the staff of this church in remarkable ways. For those of you who came on early, uh, came on and helped start this work, or were early on on the journey, I apologize uh, for what you had to endure in those early years, uh, but I'm so grateful for your prayers for, for me. For those of you who have joined us recently, welcome aboard. Um, the point I, I want to make about all of this is this, is this is our story. This is our story together, and, and you are not just an individual who happens to attend church here. God, I believe, in his providence and his sovereignty destined for you to be here. I mean, we come from all walks of life. We come from all races. We come from all socioeconomic backgrounds. We come from all over the country and the world to be in this place, and I don't believe it's by accident. I believe God has a purpose and a plan. Much of what has been accomplished over the last 23 years we see fruit being born not only here but around the world with people like Amy Jacks or Darren Davis who's been planting a church in South Florida or Greg Rogers who's work in Tuscaloosa or, or, or Jen Ridley. I, I mean, we look around the world. We see how God has brought people in. He's sent them out and the fruit that's being born everywhere. But I still believe that the best days for Fullness Christian Fellowship are in the future and not in the past. I believe that if you're here right now, that God has a plan for us. Plan has a, God has a destiny for us. If you're here only because you feel like, wow, I've, I've invested so much in this thing, I can't leave. Look, I want to encourage you to change your mindset. I mean, really, I, I think at times there's this like, you get to this place like it's a house and you put so much money in it and you know it's not worth it, but you keep putting money in it and, and you think, well, I can't leave now. I've put so much money in it already. If you feel that way about our church, please allow God to change your perspective because I believe what he wants to do in the days ahead are, is spectacular. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how it's going to engage us and what, what he's going to do through our story together, but I know it's going to be great. I, I figure I've got, you know, I'm 57 now. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm, I'm planning on being here until I'm 70. 
Um, first of all, I had children way late in life. I can't afford to retire for a good while. I'm just kidding, but not really. Um, <laughs> and I'm trying to stay healthy, but I, I'm looking forward to the days ahead. And I'm thinking, what does God want to do in and through me? I mean, 23 years I've been pastor, maybe 10 years plus I'll, I'll be pastor of this church before I hand it off to someone. What do I want to do in the last decade of my life, of ministry? How is that going to look? And I'm telling people, I am not slowing down. I want us to go full bore toward what God has for us. I do not want to coast in. I don't want to just kind of ride the wave of what God's done in the past and ease on into my uh, golden years. I want to remind you of our story. To remind you of why we're here and to forecast a little bit for the days ahead. You with me? Let me just remind you of why we're here. Here's our, here is our scripture passage, so to speak. The passage about us as a church. I think I passed it. There we go. This is the prayer that our church was founded on. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, and I believe for the church in general, and we adopted it, so to speak, as our theme passage. And it's this. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We are a family of faith here. You are families, individual families here today. You derive your name from our Father God. He is the source of family. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he does not have just enough. Amen? I mean, he has glorious riches that he wants to give us. He may strengthen you with, and here's the first phrase we we hammer a lot, power through his spirit in your inner being. We believe that there is the person of the Holy Spirit who is at work in our lives right now. And that if we're going to live the Christian life, not only are we saved by, but we are continually re-energized through the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot, listen to me, you cannot live the Christian life out of your own strength or your own might. You can't do it. Uh, I'm a testimony of this. I'm not going to give you my story today, later, but my story is that I lived the Christian life, I don't want to say perfectly, but I went for it hard. I did the best I could. Born in a Christian family, raised in a Christ, by a Christian mother and father, went to a Christian college, went to a seminary, ended up absolutely miserable in my Christian life. Why? Because I was try, trying to live the Christian life out of my own strength, my own might, my own power. That doesn't mean we aren't disciplined, but we are disciplined to hear from the Spirit of God who's been planted in us to give us the ability to live the Christian life. I pray that he'll strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. We are a people of the love of Christ. We're not a people of, here's... Here's judgment, or here's the law. We are a people of the love of Christ. I mean, ultimately, 
we have to understand, receive, walk out in faith the love of Jesus Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? It's a part of you. It's a part of you. You know it in a deeply spiritual, deeply intimate way. It's not a head thing, it's a heart thing. Do you know this love of Christ in that kind of way? That you may be filled to the measure, and here's where we get our name, to all the fullness of God. The fullness of God. We want the fullness of God in every way in our church, in our lives, so that we can know his purpose and plan. And this prayer closes out, as you know, with the benediction that I speak over us, and this is the reason I say it over us every single week, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine, according to his power, that power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's why I say that benediction over us every week. It's an ending of the prayer that is a part of who we are as a church. In line with this, I want to just share with you a passage from Jeremiah where Jeremiah is prophesying over the nation of Israel about the destruction of Jerusalem, how it's going to be destroyed, but then God is going to bring them back and restore them. So if you turn to Jeremiah chapter 32, Jeremiah chapter 32, I want to just walk us through this passage just as a reminder of who we are, what God is doing our story as we set our sights and prayers for the, the days ahead. If you're not a part of fullness, you're not here, um, I would encourage you to find a church like this. I mean, really, if you're looking for a church, I would just say, it doesn't have to look identical to this. It doesn't have to, you know, the type of music, but look for a church that emphasizes these things, the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of Jesus Christ, and the fullness of God. Hello? Look, church is not about social position. Church is not about what Bible stories even your children will learn. The church is failing spectacularly in raising up children whose faith becomes their own. Why? Because the church doesn't understand that the knowledge of the love of Christ is not the knowledge of Bible stories. It is about knowing him who, it is about experiencing him. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. It's about the fullness of God being manifested in people's lives. Having said that, we're going to walk through kind of our foundations. Here's, who, here's some values for us as a church, just to remind ourselves as we point ourselves to the future for what God has. All right, here we go. From Jeremiah chapter 32. First point is this, God brought you to this place. Jeremiah 32, verses 36 and 37 say this, You are saying about this city, by the sword, famine, and plague, it will be handed over to the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. I'm, I'm portraying 
what God is giving to the nation of Israel, kind of in an individualistic standpoint for us as a church, because I think these principles apply. And the principle is this. God is the one who gathers. God is the one who gathers. Who, who builds the church? Who builds the church? It is God who builds the church. Jesus says, I will build my church. In other words, the building of the church although God is using us, is not dependent on our skills or our abilities. Now, I think we should be as creative as God has made us to be. I think we should work hard. I think there's an element of diligence. I think we should understand the times. All of those things come into play. But ultimately, the church, those who are truly a part of God's kingdom, come by faith. And it is God who gathers. God, as I said already, God brought us to this place. God brought you to this place. Think about this. If God brought you to this place, when should you leave this place? When God tells you. Not before and don't wait after. I mean, really, if he says, if God is saying to you now, here's time to leave, then leave. But don't leave before that. And don't leave for other reasons. Here's my promise to you. Stay with me long enough and you'll get mad at me. I mean, really, really, something about me is going to irritate you in some way. I'm going to say something. I'm going to do something. I think everything's funny. Uh, And you may not. You may not think the tragedy of your life is near as funny as I think it is. But so there's there's a high probability at some point, if you're here because of me, that you'll leave because of me. But if you're here because God brought you here, then you'll get over the fact that I'm going to offend you at some point. That I'll say something or do something in my own flesh and stupidity that will offend you. You'll have grace for that. Oh, that's just him. That's just part. God bless him. I appreciate that many of you have made decisions about whether to take jobs in other cities based on God's calling to you about this church. That's just incredible to me. I can't even fathom that. That you might have an opportunity to, to take a better job with more money in another city, but you felt like God had brought you to fullness and so you stayed here. That is incredibly humbling to me as a pastor. But to me, it shows the commitment of people's lives in this place to say, God brought me here. God brought me here. I could go on this a long time, but I I, I don't want to. I I just want you to reestablish why you're here. That it's God who brought you to this place. Second point is this. God is looking for people. God's looking for a people. Jeremiah 32, 38 says, they will be my people and I will be their God. I believe in the Bible from beginning to end is not about the person, it's about the person of Jesus Christ, but it's about the call of God for a people after his own name. We are very individualistically oriented. We think this is about me. I would contend it is about us. The Bible talks about the body of Christ. The Bible talks about the nation of Israel. God is 
God is looking for a people after his own name. Doesn't mean you're not important. You're incredibly important because God has gifted you. But why did he gift you? He gifted you for the building up of the body of Christ. He didn't gift you so you'd feel special. He gifted you because he wants you to play a part in the building up of the body of Christ for seeing the kingdom of God expand. It is really hard for us as Americans, though we, we understand the American ideal, so to speak. We understand we're Americans and we're really proud of it. But our American heritage says to us, it's really all about you. It's about your wealth, your position, your... It's, it's a very individualistic philosophy and mindset. God is looking for the one who will become a part of the whole. He snatches, he looks for the lost sheep to bring them into the kingdom of God so that we will be a part. In that, there are some values that we have here at Fullness. One is we want to see God steadily expand our sphere of influence. So, for instance, uh, John Kerry, Marty Donegan, uh, Patricia, um, over here, Emily, who's new to our church. All of us are different. We're all different. Not just in our gender or our, maybe our race or socioeconomic background, but when John Kerry goes, John, John and Marty and Emily and me, we all have a different group of people that we know. A different family, different jobs, different... When you leave this place, you're going to go somewhere. You're going to go somewhere. And the people around you are your sphere of influence. They're the people God has put into your surroundings that you influence. And many of the people that are in your sphere, I'll never be able to really speak to, have influence in. But you do. What are you doing with the sphere of influence God has given you? You see, you're not going to be answerable for my sphere. You're not going to be answerable for John's sphere. You're going to be answerable. What did I do as a steward of God to, to handle the sphere of influence that God has given me? That is your harvest field. That is where God has given you to minister the love of Christ to. Invite people to church. Invite people to to know who God is. And we want to constantly pray that God would give us the ability to expand our sphere of influence. God, I've been faithful with little, now entrust me with more. More what? It's not the lottery, people. It's it's being faithful in the little that God has given you. Uh, You may say, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. The only people in my sphere of influence are my children. Hello. Steward them well then as you do, God's going to expand your sphere of influence someday. Then he'll expand it even more. Be faithful with what God has given you and ask that he will help us to steadily expand our sphere of influence. Next, make commitments to each other and to family. And family is an odd word. I, I, I believe God has called you here. I could have said the church or the congregation or whatever. But Make a commitment to be a part of this place. Here's what I believe about fullness. You are not merely an attender at Fullness Christian Fellowship. You are not a spectator at Fullness Christian Fellowship. If this is where God has brought you, you are a part of this faith 
group. God has gifted you through the power of the Holy Spirit for the building up of the body of Christ. And by that, I believe he means not only the church out there, but this church specifically. Let me just say, cynicism is rampant in this world. The easiest thing to do is to sit back, attend, and criticize. I have to confess, I battle a critical spirit and a skeptical spirit all the time. I come, all of my training is in music, as you know, uh, most of you know. Uh, A lot of my formal education is in music. One of the things you're taught about in music is you look at the page, you hear it in your head, then you listen to what's being performed, and where that doesn't agree with this, then you change it. Do you know what that does for you? It constantly makes you have a critical spirit. You're not listening for what's right, you're listening for what's wrong. And when it's wrong, then you fix it. So that if you're not careful, you you lose the joy of of the music that you went into it for in the first place. Are you with me? Some of you have not only received the critical spirit, but you wallow in it. You believe it's the gift that God has given you. This is my gift. My gift is to be able to see what's wrong with the children or the youth or the pastor or the church people. That is not a gift. I don't know where I was going with this. Yeah, I was looking in the mirror this morning thinking how critical I've become. Make a commitment to each other and to the family. For what purpose? For the building up of the body of Christ. If you have a critical spirit or you feel like you're in negativity, ask somebody to pray with you. Get it off you. All right. Third is this. Place people before programs. God is in the people business, not the program business. Uh, I could talk about this one a long time, but I'm going to move forward because I'm only on point two of the whole sermon. But it's this. you've got to be concerned about people before agendas. We are, many of us, are agenda-oriented. And if we're not careful, then we lose the sight of the joy of, of what God is doing in the lives of people. And let me just say this, too. If you're more concerned with your program, you'll have a very clean program with no people. Um. There's a passage in Proverbs that says this, where there is no ox, the stall is clean. You get it? I mean, you know, if if you want a clean stall, then you can't have ox. But if you have oxen, you're going to have a mess. When you have people, especially broken people coming from hurting backgrounds who need healing and help and need to be helped forward, it is a mess. But if all you're concerned about is your agenda or your program, then you'll lose the sight of people and you'll have a very clean program but an empty stall. We want to be a church that places people before programs. And to me, these three statements are critical for us as a church. This is a culture that we want to continue to to hone in on in the days ahead that we may have at times lost vision for. In the late 70s, a University of Illinois researcher named Leanne Lips Birch, she began conducting experiments to determine what, listen to this, what might get children to 
to eat the vegetables they hated. Hello, I'm not even going to comment, Nate, about why we hate vegetables. But Birch tried everything. She bribed them with ice cream. She lectured them about how healthy the vegetables were for them. She even challenged them to be good role models. None of it worked. Then Birch discovered one technique that worked every single time. She put a child who hated vegetables at a table with other children who loved vegetables. Within a few meal times, the vegetable-hating child started eating vegetables. Why? Culture had prevailed. The vegetables tasted no differently, but the vegetable-hating child was changed by an environment filled with vegetable lovers. That's all it took. Culture is critical. People, culture within... Sorry, Nate, you never got around vegetable-loving people um, until it was way too late for you. You were already down... We've got to develop a culture where we reach out in love to the people who don't know Jesus, who we say we are committed to each other, to see God's purposes accomplished in this place, and we just love people. Third point is this. God's purpose, God's purpose must always remain primary. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Jeremiah 32, I'm just moving through this passage. Jeremiah 32, verses 38 and 39 says, They will be my people, I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. This is a prophetic word, people. Jeremiah is not talking just about when the nation comes back. Because when the nation comes back from Babylon and reestablishes the temple and does all that stuff, they never got there. They never got there. What he's talking about is when Jesus comes. He's given a prophetic word about the coming of Christ and the kingdom of God, the people of God of whom we are. We are the people of God. He has given us a singleness of heart and action. We need to keep God's purpose primary. To become all we can for the kingdom of God. And here's some principles that I think will help us keep God's purpose primary. First is this. We need to trust in God no matter what. Hello? Trust in God no matter what. I don't know about you, but my retirement fund lost 10% in the last two, two weeks. You know what? It doesn't worry me. You got me till 70. So it doesn't really worry me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not retiring any day soon. But if I were dependent on my retirement fund, I would be panicking right about now. If I were dependent on the economic system, listen, if I were, if I were dependent upon the American political system, I, I would be like sweating right now. I mean, the choices for president to me are looking scary on all sides. This is not a political sermon. You can vote for who you want to. But I'm going to trust in God no matter what. No matter what. A year from now, two years from now, whoever's president, wherever our economics are, you know, whatever else is going on, one thing is not going to change. I'm going to trust in God no matter what. 
If you keep that perspective that there is a king who is in charge, that the throne room of heaven is not unoccupied, then it will cast fear out of your life. At least that earthly fear. And the only fear you'll have is a healthy fear of God. I want to awe and reverence of, of him. Make commitments and establish associations based on purpose. Why do you do what you do? Because the purposes of God are being carried out in your life. Here's a way to throw it, a wrench in it. Who are you going to vote for? Not who, but why are you going to vote for them? You know what? The purposes of God in your life should influence every single decision of your life. Every decision of your life. Give out of worship and thankfulness. If God's purpose is that he's looking for a people and I'm a part of the people then what I do is I give of my life financially, emotionally, time-wise, all of it. I give not because I've told I had to, but because I love him with everything that I am. And I know his purposes are being carried out through me on the earth. And then it'll help me not give out of guilt or duty or obligation. Like, oh, if I don't do this, you know, I'm going to feel bad. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight if I don't do this. Something's screwed up in that. Something is messed up in that way of teaching. Listen, I, one of the things I know after 100 years of being in church life is what it feels like, is that if I wanted to get more money out of you, I know a ton of tricks to get more money from you. But it won't last. And it won't help you. It might help the church get financially more secure and stable from a financial standpoint, but it's not the way God designed us for you to give out of guilt or duty or law or just doing it because you're afraid that if you don't give, he'll break your refrigerator or your car or something else. I mean, really, he wants you to give because you love him. I can't wait for offering time because I get to give back to God something that he's given me. Hallelujah. It's all a gift of his. I'm giving out of a heart of thankfulness. I'm going to go spend time with these people and help them because God has given to me. God has redeemed me. God has given me this stuff, and he's given me... You with me? You get it? Fourth, finally, and this is the vision ahead, God has called us to aim for permanence. Now, permanence, I, 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 I may stretch the word because they all begin with P, and that just, you know, it's how I like to work things, uh, in case you didn't know. Permanence, I don't mean like concreted, like this is the way we're always going to look. But I believe God has us aiming for being a generational church. Here's what Jeremiah says. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will surely plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. That is the promise of God. I believe God has called us as a church to be a generational church. In other words, there are, there are some churches, some things that are just seasonal. Um, they spring up, they have life for a season, and then they go away. And that's okay. That's how God works. He may be working in that way in different places. Certain churches are seasonal. 
which is fine. They, they, they spring up, they have life, they impact people's lives, then they kind of fade away, and that church goes out into other churches and does other stuff. That's fine. It's kind of like a seed scattered to the wind. I believe God has called us, however, to be a generational church, to minister life to the generations coming. And, and so here's some things that I think will help us to do that. One of those is to, is to value relationships as eternal. Value relationships as eternal. Treat people as if there were nothing to get out of the relationship, but a, a, a relationship based on the love of God. What, what are you going to take to heaven with you? What, what are you going to take? You're not taking your house. You're not taking these lovely green chairs. Somebody say hallelujah. You're not taking this building. You're not taking the clothes that you've got on you. What are you taking to heaven with you? I believe the thing you're taking to heaven with you are the relationships that you've invested in the kingdom of God. People. People. Value relationships as eternal. Why? Because they are eternal. They are eternal. Second, stay steady through the attack. I don't say stay steady if there's an attack. I'm saying stay steady through the attack because the attacks of the enemy will come. We need to stay steady through those. How? We're going to determine you're going to live for God. Go back to principle number three, one of those. Trust in God no matter what. If you're going to stay steady through the attack, then you're not dependent on circumstances. Opposition is going to happen. See opposition as an opportunity for the love of God to be demonstrated for us to grow in relationship with him. I don't know if you heard that. I kind of read it. But when things don't go your way, see it as an opportunity to grow. God is using it for growth in your life. And finally, God prospers the work of the one who's committed for the long haul. It is a as Eugene Peterson says, a long obedience in the same direction. I just love that phrase. A long obedience in the same direction. Keep moving forward. Last week, I used the illustration of the basilica in Barcelona known as Sagrada Familia. It's the name of the basilica and how it's been being worked on for over 100 years. It's still got another decade before it's going to be completed. How it was designed by Antoni Gaudi. Um, he was a famous, I, I want to say Spanish, but Catalan, uh, Catalonian architect, um, which they don't want to be known as Spanish. They want to be known as something different. So he, he's a famous architect who died in 1926. He designed this magnificent structure. One of the things that Gaudi did that was really insightful is that he purposefully left parts of the building undesigned. He purposefully didn't design every single corner, every single window, every single thing. Why? Because he knew that it, the construction of this building was going to take a lot longer than he was going to be alive. And so he wanted to pass on to the next generation this idea that if you're going to do it, you've got to design it. 
you got to be a part of it. you got to be invested in it. You can't just take what I've done as this is it. You've got to own it. Are, are you with me? I believe Fullness Christian Fellowship is, at a, is really is at a turning point in our history. In that if we're going to be a generational, multi-generational church, then one of the things we have to do is to ask those who are in their 20s and 30s to step up. And not step up and do it like I would do it, but to ask God, what do we want to do so that this church is here for the next generation? One of the things I'm convinced of as I get older is that I unintentionally become an obstructionist. I mean, I don't want to, I really, I got a heart for the generation ahead. I got a heart for the, the, the way God wants to, to, to move us in the future. But there's something in me that just, at times, it sees this as kind of our baby. And like, eh, we never really did it like that before. Well, who the heck cares? Look. If someone asks you to do something that you've never done before, rather than just saying, I don't want to do it like that, or I've never done that before, ask yourself this. Is this going to help fullness and God accomplish what he wants to for passing on the message of the gospel to the next generation? Hello? Are you with me? And to say, to, for us to start to turn to younger leaders to say, how can we pull you in? Now, I'm... I, Trust me, people who've been here for a long time, I'm not putting you out to pasture in any way. As a matter of fact, I don't think God has a retirement program. Hello? It's heaven. That's your retirement. Between now and then, you're to, you know, as John Piper says, I I just don't think God's goal for you is collecting seashells at the seashore. He wants you to go full on till the day you die pressing forward for the kingdom of God. But at the same time to say, okay, how can we help see this uh, be built for the next generation? The, the simple truth is this, people. If we don't build to the next generation, then this generation is it and fullness is done. You with me? I mean, because we'll keep doing it like this. And then when we all move on to glory, there won't be body. We're committed for the long haul. Jeremiah 32, 41 says, I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. That's what I want. I want God's heart and soul planted in me. One last passage. One last passage from Zephaniah says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take the great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Fullness. This is what I believe God wants for us. God's desire for us. He's called us for a purpose. He's planted us here. He's got a, a goal for and, and if you're just visiting today and this is, again, not your church, that's fine. I believe these principles still apply for the kingdom of God wherever you might be. Receive from him. Ask God, saying, God, 
what part of being the people of God do you desire from me? How do you desire for, for me to be a part of our story? Our story. Together. Be a part of something greater than yourself. And by a part, I don't mean just attend. I don't mean just pay your membership dues. I mean invest in that place. And let's see what God will do. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us see that we are a part of something much, much greater than ourselves. We are part of the kingdom of God at large, and we're part of what you're doing in this place. And God, we thank you. We praise you. We rejoice in you. Lord, we are so awestruck that you dance and sing over us. May we see the joy that you have in the delight of your people delighting in you. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone here who does not know this Jesus that we've been talking about as the one who rules their life and has forgiven their sins, God, draw Spirit of God, draw them to the name of Jesus. For those who are here today who need just a, a, a re-envisioning of their lives and their purpose and the place in the body of Christ, Spirit of God, speak to them and draw them. For those who, who might be here today who would know that they've given in to the accusations of the enemy and just become critical or feel like those accusations are becoming a part of them, Lord, set them free. Lord, may our story be the story of God's kingdom at work in our lives. May there be great fruit for the kingdom of God in this place. Lord, we thank you. We rejoice in you. In Jesus' name. Stand up with me if you would. I'm going to, ministry teams, if you would move quickly.